section twenty four of lives of the queens of england volume six by agnes and elizabeth strickland this librivox recording is in the public domain elizabeth chapter six part five on the thirteenth of april articles were presented by the french ambassador and cavalcante as preliminaries among which it was proposed that the marriage might be solemnized without the ceremonies prescribed by the catholic ritual the monsieur and his domestics should have free exercise of their religion that immediately the marriage was concluded monsieur should govern jointly with the queen and that the day after the consummation of the marriage he should be crowned as the husband of the queen and received by her subjects as king and sixty thousand livres a year should be granted for his maintenance it was replied on the part of elizabeth that she could not concede the exercise of his religion to the duke but that she would promise that neither he nor his servants should be compelled to use those of her church the title of king of which she notices there was precedent in the case of her sister's husband king philip she was willing to allow with regard to the pension she objected but did not refuse it observing that king philip had no manner of thing allowed him but sustained all his own charge and gave also to noblemen gentlemen and yeomen of our nation good entertainment she then made some inquiries as to the dominions of the prince and in what manner they were to be inherited whether by daughters as well as sons she notices that the ambassador had earnestly required that if the duke should survive her and have a child living that should be heir to the crown he might retain the regal title with this modification to be called rex potter and if no child should be surviving then to be called rex dotarius or king dowager of this very original clause her majesty contents herself with observing that she considers it rather matter of form than substance and meter to be thought of when greater matters are accorded than in the present stage of the business in a conference between walsingham and monsieur de foix on the subject of the disputed articles when walsingham told de foix that the difference on religion appeared the principal obstacle the other replied that he was necessary both for the prince's happiness and honor that he should have some religion and that he believed him to be well disposed in that way yet not so assuredly grounded but that some change might be effected in time and with the queen's good persuasions whereof continued the catholic negotiator we have seen good experience of woman's virtue in that way constantine was converted by his mother helena the king of navarre by the queen his wife and therefore i cannot doubt but this match proceeding monsieur will be turned by his wife to this it was replied on elizabeth's part that although it would be a glory to her to imitate the empress helena in so great a thing yet it by no means followed that such would be the case with regard to monsieur for there were to the full as many wives converted by their husbands as husbands by their wives as to the articles submitted to her on the part of their majesties and monsieur she found the greatest difficulty in those which related to religion and she wished some of the ceremonials required by the prince in the marriage service to be omitted the reply to this was 
that her majesty's marriage with monsieur ought to be dignified with all the solemnities suited to their relative positions and that the king and queen of france were sure she would not treat the prince so unkindly as to wish to deprive him of the exercise of his religion neither could she esteem him if for the sake of worldly advantages he were to dispense with it to which elizabeth very obligingly replied that she had herself been sacred and crowned according to the ceremonies of the catholic church and by catholic bishops without however assisting at the mass and that she would be sorry if she thought monsieur was willing to give up his religion for if he had the heart to forsake god he might also forsake her however she referred all to the lords leicester and burleigh whom she appears to have constituted lord keepers of her conscience in this delicate affair in a private conversation with la mothe fenelon elizabeth observed facetiously that one of her reasons for wishing to dispense with the elaborate matrimonial service of her proposed bridegroom's church was on the score of portents for if monsieur in consequence of so many ceremonies should chance to let the nuptial ring fall on the ground she should regard it as an evil omen she expressed a great desire for him to accompany her sometimes to prayers that neither she nor her people might see any manifestation of ill-will on his part towards the protestant religion he need not doubt she said of being very honorably provided for by her in case of being the survivor and during her life he and she would have all things in common then she spoke of the praises she had heard of the prince with a fear put in parenthetically that he would not receive such advantageous reports of her and fell to repeating the commendations she had heard of his sense prudence and good grace of his valor and magnanimity and the beauty and elegance of his person not forgetting to speak of his hand which she had been told was one of the most uncommonly beautiful that had ever been seen in france and then says the ambassador concluded with a smile by telling me that she would have me told one day by my said lord if things come to a good winding up that i ought rather to have maintained that a match with her would be more honorable for him than with the queen of scots notwithstanding these flattering words la mothe fenelon had his doubts and in order to come to a clear understanding of her majesty's intentions on this subject he endeavored to cultivate the good will of the countess of lennox who as the first lady in the realm next to the queen and her nearest relative he supposed would be in the secret all the information however that lady lennox gave him he says only amounted to this that by what she could observe in the queen she seemed to be not only well disposed but affectionately inclined to my said lord that she generally talked of nothing but his virtues and perfections that her majesty dressed better appeared more lively and more of a bell than was usual on his account but that she did not use much confidence with her ladies on this subject reserving it entirely between herself the earl of leicester and my lord burleigh so if i required more light on the matter i must obtain it from one of the twain on this hint la mothe fenelon applied himself to leicester and burleigh and inquired of them how the nobles of the realm stood affected to the match leicester replied that he had sounded the duke of norfolk on this point for he was the leader of the ancient nobility and he had professed himself entirely devoted to the wishes of the king of france and his brother of anjou 
some communication had already taken place between norfolk and la mothe fenelon on the subject and the latter had promised that in case the duke made no objection to the matrimonial treaty between the french prince and elizabeth his own marriage with the queen of scots would be facilitated through the friendship of the court of france meantime one of la mothe's spies informed him that the opinion of the people was that the queen neither could would or ought to espouse monsieur and that her intention was merely to lull the french court on the affairs of scotland and also to induce the king of spain to offer better conditions to her and for the satisfaction of some of her subjects but even if all the articles of the contract could be agreed upon the marriage would never take effect and that leagues were already formed to strengthen the malcontents from the dangers that might befall from this marriage elizabeth had at the same time received reports of a far more annoying nature from her spies in france and in her next interview with la mothe she complained bitterly that it had been said in france that monsieur would do well to marry the old creature who had had for the last year the evil in her leg which was not yet healed and never could be cured and under that pretext they could send her a potion from france of such a nature that he would find himself a widower in the course of five or six months and after that he might please himself by marrying the queen of scotland and remain the undisputed sovereign of the united realms she added that she was not so much shocked at this project on her own account as she was from her regard for monsieur and the honour of the regal house from which he sprang La Mothe, with all the vivacious eloquence of his nation expressed his detestation of the project and of the person by whom it had been promulgated and entreated the queen to name him that their majesties of france might punish him elizabeth replied with great anger that it was not yet the proper time to name him but that it was undoubtedly true and she would soon let them know more about it the next time she vouchsafed an audience with his excellency was on the tenth of may in her privy chamber to which he was conducted by leicester and burleigh when her majesty entered she presently gave him a shrewd hint on the sore subject by informing him that notwithstanding the evil report that had been made of her leg she had not neglected to dance on the preceding sunday at the marquis of northampton's wedding so she hoped that monsieur would not find himself cheated into marrying a cripple un boitus instead of a lady of proper paces that sunday evening's performance of the royal tripsichord must have been well worth witnessing how high and disposedly she danced on that occasion and the energetic nature of the pirouettes she executed for the honour of england as a public vindication of the activity of her insulted limb may be imagined it was at this crisis that walsingham wrote to elizabeth that the court of france projected a marriage between the duke of anjou and mary queen of scots and matters were so far advanced that the pope had been applied to and had promised to grant a dispensation and that it was determined if the treaty for restoring her to her liberty and royal authority did not succeed that an expedition should be immediately prepared for taking her by force of arms from england elizabeth was transported with rage and jealousy at the idea that the prince whose addresses she had condescended to encourage actually preferred to her and her royal dowry the deposed calumniated princess whose existence hung on her fiat 
this preference though unsought by her beautiful rival who wrapped up in the excitement of her romantic passion for norfolk regarded the addresses of all other suitors with coldness and impatience was probably the cause of the vindictive cruelty with which the last fifteen years of the hapless mary's imprisonment was aggravated and the many petty mortifications which elizabeth meanly inflicted upon her mary's treatment at this period was so harsh that charles interposed in behalf of his hapless sister-in-law by his ambassador who ceasing to speak of the duke of anjou warned elizabeth that unless she took means for the restoration of the queen of scotland to her rightful dignity and in the meantime treated her in a kind and honourable manner he should send forces openly to her assistance elizabeth stifled her anger at this menace so far as to commence her reply with deceitful softness that she was grieved that he should always put her friendship at less account than that of the queen of scots and then began angrily to enumerate a great number of offences which she had received from that lady before she entered into her realm and many and more heinous ones since by her intrigues with rome france and flanders and lately with the duchess of feria in spain of all of which she had such clear proofs in her possession that she could not but regard her as her greatest enemy in june fifteen seventy one elizabeth wreaked her long-hoarded vengeance on the hoary head of her ancient foe dr story who had during her time of trouble in her sister's reign loudly proclaimed before the convocation that it was of little avail destroying the branches as long as the princess elizabeth the root of all heresies was suffered to remain on her accession he had entered the service of philip of spain but in the year fifteen sixty nine he was taken on board an english ship on his voyage to london he was tried on the charges of magic and treason and condemned to death one of the charges against him was that every day before dinner he regularly cursed her majesty as part of his grace the spanish ambassador endeavoured to save story's life by claiming him as a subject of the catholic king the king of spain may have his head if he wishes it replied elizabeth but his body shall be left in england about this time the emperor maximilian offered his eldest son prince rodolph as a husband for elizabeth a youth about six months younger than the duke of anjou and elizabeth gave an encouraging reply to the overture on this the ambitious queen mother of france dreading the loss of so grand a match for her son anjou conjured him to waive all foolish scruples and win the prize from this powerful rival she even entreated walsingham to treat the effect of his rhetoric on her perverse son in private conversation for the purpose of prevailing on him to exchange the mass for the crown matrimonial of england the prince replied as evasively as elizabeth herself could have done under such temptation by saying that he rather desired to become the means of redressing inconveniences than causing any which he trusted would not happen not to be outdone by elizabeth's boasts of the numerous matrimonial offers she had received he added that though he was young yet for the last five years there had been many overtures of marriage made unto him but that he found in himself no inclination to yield to any till the present but said he i must needs confess that through the great commendations that were made of the queen your mistress for her rare gifts 
as well as of mind as of body being as even her very enemies say the rarest creature that has been seen in europe these five hundred years my affections grounded upon so good respect make me yield to be wholly hers and if i thought any inconvenience could ensue to her disquiet through me i would rather wish myself never to have been he then requested as it touched his soul and conscience that some private place might be accorded for the exercise of his own religion in secret walsingham replied by recommending him to dispose himself to a devout attendance on the church service on which he rejoined that he knew not how god hereafter would dispose his heart therefore for the present he requested her majesty to weigh in her own mind what it was to do anything with scruple or remorse of conscience and so requested walsingham to present his most affectionate and humble commendations to her and to assure her that she only had authority to command him a very dutiful declaration if it had been sincere elizabeth had about the same time the offer of the young hero and hope of the protestant cause in france henri of navarre but she gave little encouragement to his suit her pride was more flattered by the addresses of the princes of the royal house of valois or austria she coquitted with all in turn both amorously and politically whenever elizabeth perceived that the negotiations flagged she said that her inclination for matrimony had decreased and she had in fact never suffered such great constraint since her imprisonment in the tower during her sister's reign as she had done in making up her mind to marry she also caused reports to be circulated that she was going to send sir henry sidney and sir james crofts into spain on a secret mission touching the rival candidate for her hand prince rodolph then the indefatigable monsieur de la mothe alarmed at the possibility of such an alliance redoubled his flatteries and persuasions in behalf of his recreant client anjou whom neither gallantry ambition nor maternal authority could induce to come to england and plead his own cause all however that could be effected in the way of deputy courtship was done by our silver-tongued diplomatist from day to day and still the treaty advanced no further though leicester affected to be anxious for its completion and her majesty appeared to be well disposed towards it one evening in june she sent for la mothe fenelon to go with her into her park at westminster to witness a salvo of artillery and a review of some arquebusers that the earl of oxford had led there when she was pleased to say that she should not fail to provide in good time such pleasures for monsieur but that she was astonished at the tardy proceedings of his ambassador in coming to some conclusion in his dispatch of the ninth of july monsieur de la mothe informs the queen mother of france that he has many times inquired of the lords and ladies about the queen how her majesty stood affected to the marriage and that one of her ladies had told him that one day when she was alone with the queen her majesty had of her own accord commenced talking of monsieur and had said that up the present hour she was resolved on the match and that she hoped much from the virtue valor and praiseworthy qualities and good graces that were in him that he was reputed wise brave and generous and very amiable like all the members of the royal house of france that he was handsome but not vain and she trusted that he would deport himself so pleasantly to her subjects 
that all would be agreeable between him and them and that they too would live very happily together although some of her nobles who were in the interest of others would do all they could to traverse it for herself she confessed that she had been and still was struggling with many doubts for as he was younger than herself she feared he would soon despise her especially if she should have no children but that she hoped god in his grace would give her some and at all events she would place all her affection on the prince and love and honor him as her lord and husband the lady to whom these observations were made endeavored to encourage her royal mistress in her present disposition the next day however some of the other ladies strove to infuse scruples into the mind of the queen by speaking of the dangers that were involved in this marriage and pronosticating that she would have cause to repent it on which her majesty said that in truth she feared the young prince would despise her and that she neither found herself in health nor inclination for a husband and that she wished to delay the treaty till she found herself more disposed to it this being repeated to the french ambassador the same evening he hastened to represent to her two male confidants that it would by no means be advisable for her majesty to trifle with the duke of anjou now matters were so far advanced for he was not to be considered like the king of sweden the duke of holstein or the archduke who were all poor princes too far off to do her any harm but monsieur was the best-loved brother of a very powerful king and that he was himself a duke and military leader of a very warlike nation and so near a neighbor that in ten hours he could invade her realm and that she might be assured he would not brook such treatment as she had shown to the other princes the next night the queen while she was undressing to go to bed sprained her right side so severely that she was much alarmed and in great pain with violent spasms for more than two hours which caused a pause in the negotiations after which a privy council was held at the house of the earl of leicester to deliberate on the old stumbling block the demands made by the duke of anjou for the unrestrained exercise of his religion as usual much was said and little done the queen could not grant enough to satisfy the scruples of a catholic and she had conceded too much to please the protestant portion of her subjects meantime having received a portrait of her princely suitor she sent for the french ambassador to discuss it with him she said although it was done in crayons and his complexion had been chafed and injured with the chalks enough of the lineaments remained to indicate great beauty and marks of dignity and prudence and she could easily see the manner of a perfect man then she averted to the disparity of age between herself and the prince and said that considering her time of life she should be ashamed to be conducted to church to be married to any one looking as young as the earl of oxford who was the same age as her bridegroom-elect but that monsieur had such a modest and dignified mien with so great an appearance of gravity and wisdom that no one could say but he looked seven years older than he was and she only wished that it really were so not because those years would have given him the crown of france which in right of primogeniture pertained to his brother for would to god that she might never desire anything more it being well known what pain she had been in about his majesty's wound and her fear lest it should have ended in making monsieur so great 
that he would not have required the grandeur she had it in her power to bestow upon him her only reason for wishing him to be older was that he might not find such a great disparity between them for she confessed to have seen thirty-five years although neither her countenance nor her disposition indicated that she was so old as elizabeth was born in fifteen thirty three she was three years older than she told the ambassador but so far from correcting her small miscalculation on the delicate point he courteously replied that god had so well preserved her majesty that time had diminished none of her charms and perfections and that monsieur looked older than her by years that the prince had shown an unchangeable desire for their union and he monsieur de la mothe doubted not that she would find in his said lord everything that she could wish for her honour grandeur the security and the repose of her realm with the most perfect happiness for herself all this her majesty received with great satisfaction and everything appeared to progress favourably towards the completion of the matrimonial treaty elizabeth sent a portrait to anjou and ultimately declared her full determination to espouse him and to grant him the free exercise of his religion in private when lo the unfortunate youth who had relied on her caprice and insincerity had no other way of escape but declaring he would not go to england unless he could be allowed the full and public profession of the catholic religion on which his disappointed queen mother penned the following letter in which her hypocrisy is fully displayed for if she had believed in the religion for which she committed so many crimes could she have been so angry because her son refused to compromise it or ought she have vowed vengeance on his adviser monsieur de la mothe fenelon as i place particular confidence in you i will not hide from you that the humour in which i find my son anjou has given me great pain he is utterly determined not to go over to england without having a public assurance for the open exercise of his religion and neither the king nor i can prevail on him to rely on the word of the queen of england we suspect very strongly that villequier lanierol or Surette, possibly all three together are the originators of these fantasies if we could have assurance that such were the case i can assure you that they should repent of it for all this i would not that they reveal it since it is possible we may work something on his mind or on that of the queen elizabeth if unfortunately matters do not accord for my son anjou as i could wish i am resolved to try all efforts to succeed with my son alenon who would not be so difficult meantime as we propose to make a league with this queen to attach her the more to us and distance the son of the emperor and others let no hint of this appear but burn this present after having read it and believe nothing that may be told you and nothing that is written to you save that which bears the king's signature or mine and this you are told not without reason for those who desire not that things should be as they are thanks be to god so well advanced and disposed to be successful have artifices enough to write and publish which they think may hinder the good work praying to god for you etc etc at fontebleau this thursday twenty-fifth day of july fifteen seventy one catherine on the thirty-first of july monsieur de la mothe informs catherine de medicis 
that queen elizabeth on the previous tuesday filled one of her own little work baskets which always stood in her cabinet with beautiful apricots and desired the earl of leicester to send it to him with her commendations that he might see that england was a country good enough to produce fair fruits leicester employed his secretary to deliver her majesty's present and message to the ambassador and to inquire if he had had any news from france for the satisfaction of the queen whom he assured him he had never seen in better health or spirits than at present and that she would not go out in her coach any more to the chase but on a fine large horse i replied continues our diplomat that i thank the earl very much for the continuation of his good will towards me and that i entreated him to kiss her majesty's hands very humbly in my name and to assist me in thanking her properly for her greeting and beautiful present and added that these fine apricots showed very well that she had fair and good plants in her realm where i wished the grafts from france might in time produce fruits even more perfect this last compliment was intended as an allusion to the marriage which was then in negotiation between the queen and the duke of anjou some delay had occurred in the arrival of communications from france at which it should seem her majesty was impatient for on the fifth of august she sent a gentleman to the ambassador with the present of a fine stag which she had shot with her own hand with an arblast or crossbow and inquired again if he had any news from france the earl of leicester writes monsieur de la mothe has sent to me that the queen his mistress having seen this great stag as she was hunting at oatlands and wishing to kill it that she might send me the venison of her forests as well as the fruits of her gardens that i might be better able to judge the goodness of her land called hastily for an arblast and with one blow from the bolt she had herself broken its leg and brought it down and her old chamberlain had finished killing it i was at the time assured that the said lady persevered in her good intentions towards monsieur and often talked of the agreeable pleasures and exercises they should take together in hunting and visiting the beautiful places in her kingdom but that she considers that your majesties are very tardy in your replies and thinks it strange that she has not yet had the portrait of monsieur in large and in colors that which had been sent about a month before was evidently only a sketch in black chalks two portraits from the skilled hand of Janet were afterwards sent one to show the face the other the figure of the prince but the original though elizabeth had so frequently intimated how agreeable a visit from him would be remained obstinately on the other side of the water whence reports were perpetually transmitted by walsingham sometimes of his projected marriage with the queen of scots and at others with her venerable rival the princess of portugal the detection of the share the french ambassador had taken in the norfolk plot had the effect of suspending the negotiations for the alliance between elizabeth and the duke of anjou and though burleigh in one of his oracular letters to walsingham at this crisis writes truly the more matters are discovered the more necessary it is seen that her majesty should marry all attempts to agitate the matter proved abortive the reluctance of the proposed bridegroom was in fact insurmountable though the farce was carried on a few weeks longer when anjou told his ribald companion the marshal tavan that the earl of leicester has endeavoured to forward his marriage with the queen of england 
the other profanely rejoined my lord robert would marry you to his friend make him marry chateauneuf who is yours leicester having importuned for a french lady of rank as a bride elizabeth honored her kinsman lord hunsdon with a visit in september fifteen seventy one at his mansion hunsdon house a curious contemporary painting in the possession of the earl of oxford is supposed to commemorate this event and the manner of the royal approach the queen is seated in a canopy chair of state carried by six gentlemen preceded by knights of the garter and followed by a procession of the most distinguished ladies of the household they are all portraits henry lord hunston carries the sword of state before her majesty among the knights of the garter leicester walks nearest to the queen then my lord treasurer burleigh with his white staff and charles howard the admiral afterwards earl of nottingham followed by sussex russell and clinton each adorned with a profile portrait of her majesty pendant from a ribbon the ladies are all richly jewelled and elizabeth herself according to custom outdoes the queen of diamonds in her bravery she is represented of a comely and majestic presence the picture is conjectured to have been painted by mark gerard elizabeth's court painter and it has been splendidly engraved by vertu among his historic prints a posthumous portrait of mary boleyn lord hunsdon's mother and aunt to the queen appears in the background in a grave dark dress lady hunsdon is in white and nearest to the queen lady knollys his sister and young catherine carey his daughter who afterwards married her cousin charles howard the lord admiral are also among the dramatis personae of this remarkable picture we find by stowe that the queen was carried to st paul's occasionally after this fashion which reminds us of the procession of a pagan goddess surrounded by her priests and worshippers or the ovation of a roman conqueror rather than the transit of a christian queen in civilized times the semi-barbarous display of pomp and homage suited the theatrical taste of elizabeth who inherited the pride and vanity of both her parents and understood little of the delicacy and reserve of an english gentlewoman which even in the days of alfred deterred royal females from exhibiting themselves to the vulgar in a manner unbefitting the modesty of their sex. End of section 24